20 years, we've been speaking about certain things and issues surrounding First Nations folks and their communities, and uh, now it's time to hear their voice and to hear their heart and to hear their stories personally. So you won't hear me speaking too much this morning. Uh, I want to pass it off here in a minute uh, to them. Um, Friday, September the 13th was Orange Shirt Day uh, about truth and reconciliation. They had a great gathering and, and uh, I'll let you use that long word. I was going to use it, but Nawash community. And um, we as well celebrated uh, or had a gathering uh, on the bridge by our house, right in Southampton, there's a bridge, and we live right at the corner. My wife and um, two ladies were selling T-shirts right on the sidewalk as people walked by. We made over $1,000, which was donated to our women's shelter on the Saugan First Nation Reserve, so it was a great a great time. Sally was on one side of the bridge. I was on the other side of the bridge handing out coffee, donuts, and water just to, for free for, to, to anybody who was there. It was a great time. But I want to share a scripture with you very quickly. Um, one is uh, found in Amos chapter 5, beginning at uh, verse 24 which is the heart of God, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That scripture we have in our home church, Port Elgin Missionary Church, up above the bulletin board with many different items of information about residential schools and truth and reconciliation and missing and murdered indigenous women. <clears throat> but I want to speak this. I read this. I sat down. I, I got up at 6 o'clock this morning. I've never shared this with uh, the Nawash House of Prayer ever before. And I just felt the Lord, this is a word for us and for you. The Lord will, will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. And strengthen your bones, you shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Catch this, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Amen. Thank you so much for that introduction there, Stan. And um, yeah, it's really great to be here this morning. And just want to thank you all for having us here. Um, as Stan mentioned, my name is Carmen Jones. And we are from, we have three names for our community. We are called the Chippewas of Nawash. We are called um, um, Chippewas of Nawash, Shingaming, And we are called Cape Croker. So. What I like to do is I always like to have people learn a little of our language and say Nia Shingaming with me. So we're going to say it on three, okay? One, two, three. Wow, really good. Really good. And what that means is land surrounded by water. So 
as um, I believe it was uh, Stan that just mentioned, we're in the Bruce Peninsula, and we are we are a peninsula on the peninsula. Has anybody ever been there before? Oh, you've been beside it. Okay, yeah. So, um, so that's what we are. We're actually a peninsula on a peninsula, and we are surrounded by water. So that's what um, what we call ourselves. And um, as uh, Stan had mentioned, we are from the Nawash House of Prayer, which is something that um, that we started. And we'll talk a little bit later about that because um, the Nawash House of Prayer is kind of the response to the things that. Um, that we have just mentioned about residential schools and um, all of the um, traumas and abuses that our people have endured for many years, many generations. So we'll talk a bit about that later, about what we do. But today I want to share some truths with you. I want to talk about residential schools today. I know that a lot of people have heard about residential schools, but not a lot of people have actually heard what they really were, what happened, kind of like the function of them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to be sharing these facts today because these are facts. These are not made up. These are not exaggerated. And I'm going to be sharing these from a place of not pointing my finger or, or judgment or blame. But again, these are truths and um, for us in our people, um, I was, as Stan had mentioned, that we've known each other for about seven or eight years, actually. I think it's about eight years. Yeah, I know. It's, it's flown by. It's flown by. And um, I've actually been speaking with, with Stan in some churches, actually within the area here. And, and that's been going on for about maybe five years or so, maybe even six. And we were talking about residential schools and all of this about our people before the 215 children were discovered in Kamloops, BC. And not only that, but people before me, our elders, have been talking about this for decades. And you know what? Nobody was listening to them. Nobody believed them. Nobody could believe that this happened in Canada. They were just seen as drunk, alcoholic Indians. That's how they were all seen. And that's not who we are. And that's not who God has created us to be. And we're going to talk a little bit about those stereotypes a little bit later on. So we're not going to be sharing these truths from a place of blame or judgment. We need to share these truths because we can't have reconciliation without truth, can we? And we had just uh, heard some scripture on reconciliation. And I want to um, just let everybody, you know, you're going to be hearing some pretty horrific things. Um, so get comfortable in your, in your chairs because um, get ready to be uncomfortable as well. Um, so in 2051 um, young, or sorry, 2015, children were discovered in Kamloops, BC. And I think everybody remembers that, correct? So we actually spoke in our community the other day, and we actually have a sign that's right in the right as soon as you come into our community. And this is the number of, of, of children we, we believe that have been discovered, and that number is just over 10,000 right now. So since we started, it was, excuse me, since we started, there was 2, 215. 
So that number has continually been rising of young children that, that have um, been, been discovered in mass graves. Um, so what happened at residential schools? I know that we've all heard about residential schools, but we haven't heard, um, you know, very in-depth about them, I don't think. So these residential schools were put in place by the government, um, and this has been for over 160 years now, so in the early 1800s. These residential schools were put in place by the government. And these uh, churches, or sorry, these institutions were run by churches. And some of the denominations that were involved were the Catholic Church, the United Church, the Anglican Church, Mennonite Church, Presbyterian Church, and Baptist churches. And what had happened is that these children, these young children, some of them didn't go willingly. A lot of them, in fact, a lot of them did not go willingly. What would happen is that in our communities, police officers would come um, around this time. Actually, that's why September 30th is Orange Shirt Day. And they would come around this time and the police officer would, officers would come to the door. They would ask for your children. If you refused, the parents were arrested or they were threatened with, um, you know, you, you won't get um, any of your money, you won't get any of your food or whatever. So children would go willingly. Sometimes children were, if they were walking down the road, um, they were picked up, they were taken. And sometimes what would happen is that parents would actually hide their children um, in the forest or in, in the bush there and um, just for them to um, um, hide from the Indian agents and um, agents from the government and also police officers and things like that so they wouldn't be taken. So these children, they were taken away. So as I mentioned, our community is about uh, three hours away from here. And the children were taken to Spanish. Has anybody heard of Spanish, the this, this, this small town? Yeah. So there's a residential school there. There's a boys and a girls residential school there. So that's where the majority of the people from our community were taken. So that's a long ways away, especially in the winter. And children were also taken to Brantford. Has anybody heard of that place, the, the institution that was there? So this is called the Mohawk Institute. And it's known um, by our people who attended and it has a nickname called the Mushal. And that's where they went. And while these children were there, these children received some of the most horrific abuses that have happened um, in history. So some of these children had went there since they were about three years old and didn't leave until they were um, teenagers, until they are about 18 years old, 17 years old. And what happened there is that whenever these children um, would um, speak their language or begin to um, exercise their culture, uh, they were beaten, they were physically abused, they were mentally abused, and they were sexually abused. And this happened for their entire stay. This wasn't just a one-time event. This happened on a regular basis. And what also happened is, as we know, that there was many of them that were killed, that were basically murdered. And so that's what that we know that had happened to them. So this is very sad, and, and so that's what September 30th 
is about because we want to remember these children. And I'm going to talk about some of this stuff later on because um, I had a police officer in, in, in the, uh, where I was speaking the one time, I think it was in Lion's Head, and there was a police officer in the crowd, and I said to him, um, you know, like when somebody dies, you know, like um, what's the process for that? He's like, it involves a lot of people. You know, because you have, you know, um, the police, of course, who are involved. You have the, um, a coroner to see, you know, how th did this person die? Like, you know, does an investigation need to happen? And, you know, a bunch of other people. So we've, like, as I mentioned, we have about 10,000 plus um, children who have been discovered. And where, where are the people to begin investigating that? Because we haven't heard of anything like that yet. So we're praying for, for justice for our children. We're praying for that. And we're praying for closure for the many um, families who are left with, with, a, with a big gap in their family right now and without any explanation as to why. So we're praying for that. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, has anybody ever heard of that? The Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Yeah. Um, they estimate between 4,000 and 6,000 children uh, died at residential schools. We now know that number is way higher. This was based on the records that they were given, and there are still some records that um, we haven't been given, or that haven't been given to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And as I mentioned that the residential schools began in the early 1800s, and the last one closed, last functioning one closed in 1995. And some of these places are still standing today. For instance, Spanish, um, there is still the building there and a lot of people have, have kind of went there to, to see that place. And the Mohawk Institute, so in Six Nations Reserve, they've actually uh, preserved that place and they've made it into a cultural center. They built a cultural center beside it. And what they have done is they decided to take people on tours of this residential school because this is the evidence. They want to save the evidence because again, like I had mentioned, that there was many people for many years that didn't even believe that this happened. So this is the evidence that shows that this actually happened, that this is, this is not, these are not a bunch of lives. So these children that went and attended these schools, they grew up, right? this happened many years ago and we can see that you know that um, there's a legacy uh, that that has happened with them so these children that uh, were raised in these residential schools they grew up to be an adult they grew up to be our our grandparents and they grew up to be parents themselves so with all of this abuse that they have have witnessed and they witnessed They've witnessed and experienced sexual abuse and physical abuse. They've, many of them have actually witnessed their, their friends being killed in front of them. And with things like this happening, what kind of parenting do you think that they would do with, with regards to that? It'd be pretty hard to be a parent, wouldn't it, when all of this has happened? So then they raise their children um, in this trauma that they've received themselves 
that they hadn't, you know, gotten healing from. And then they raise their children. And then their children raise their children. And then their children raise their children. So you have this cycle of trauma that has happened, right? And, um, and the really sad thing is that all of this, all of this trauma and, and all of this had happened, this was all done in the name of Jesus, right? These were done by, by churches. These were done um, by priests, by people who are supposed to know God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, about, about the, the, the God in this. We're going to talk about that. And I just wanted to share that with you because a lot of people, um, they don't know about residential schools. A lot of people haven't heard that before. So I just wanted to bring a little clarity there. Um, I'm going to invite um, Marie uh, to come up here and she's going to share some, some words here. Hello everyone, my name is Marie and I'm from Nia Shingdeming. I think I said it right. I usually use Cape Croker. I grew up in that era. Um, I'm a third generation of residential school survivor. My grandfather went to residential school in Spanish and he passed away when he was 75. He had a heart attack. He had four children and a wife. And um, we were raised Catholic, but I'm not raised, I'm not Catholic anymore. Sometimes I act like it, but not all the time. Um, <laughs> so my parents do, but um, I grew up with my grandpa and he was really great. He, um, he taught us a lot of stuff. He taught us how to hunt and fish and gather stuff, farming, things like that. And but he wasn't that great with my parents. He, he was an alcoholic, um, very abusive to my grandma. And he stopped as he got older. And, um, but like Carmen said, the, the continued violent cycle trickled into our parents and um, they drank, but they never raised their hand to us. They never hit us or anything. Um, but it still continues like, in our family because it hasn't broken yet. And um, we did the residential school day, September 30th. Um, my little nephew, he's uh, 10. So we, we went on a boat ride to Flower Pot Island. So we were there and then he goes, what's residential school? And I said, oh, okay. So this is a great opportunity. So I said, um, our, my grandfather, but your great grandfather, Eugene Kijik, went to residential school. He was five. And when he came back, he was 16. And that's a long time. And my little nephew put his head down and he's really thinking. And then he goes, I'm not going to that school. And I said, no, you're not. Because do you have that choice not to go somewhere where they're not gonna treat you right? Because when our grandfather went there, he wasn't treated right. So we're trying to break that cycle because no one, like my parents don't talk like that. They don't address that. Um, but we have to start somewhere to address that. So 
I will talk about my grandfather. Um, he went to residential school, like I said, when he was five. He was taken away, um, and he came back when he was 16. And during that time that he was in residential school, they had to work on a farm, like, in school. I don't think he had a, he probably had a grade eight education. He could read and write and do that stuff, but nothing more. But he did gardening and farming, like hard labor, I think, when he was there. Um, he never really talked about residential school. I think I was like 30 when I found out that he went to residential school because there was a big thing in the community and a lot of people were talking about it and he never, he never talked about it. Then he started talking about things and he was about 12. Um, they lived in dorms. They had beds and all that, and he went to Spanish. And um, he had a friend who kept getting hit by the priest and picked on. Um, he was a little younger than my grandpa at the time. So my grandpa said, that's enough. Like, he, he stopped the priest from hitting him. And that priest was surprised because my grandpa must have been a little bit strong, like 12 years old. So he stopped him from hitting that boy and then he got put into, I think he got taken away from that dorm and put somewhere else. And so maybe about, maybe a couple of months later, they called my grand, they got my grandpa out of bed, like at midnight, they put him on a wagon and there was this um, covered thing beside him in burlap. And they took him out into the field and um, they said, here, take this. And it was that, that was his friend that, he tried to prevent from getting hit, they killed him. So he had to bury him into the, bury him in a field. And you're 12 years old, like, you know, that that's hard. So that's the kind of stuff that he would say to us, but not all the time. So, and there was a high percentage of um, children that went to Spanish from our community. So um, a lot of our elders went there, so. Um, and then, um, also, the, um, Carmen talked about different, um, situations that happen in our community. There's, like, the day school. I went to a day school, um, St. Mary's, um, school, and then they talk about the Indian hospital. Um, my grandmother went to one. She, um, developed TB. So she went for six years in Toronto. There was an um, Indian school there. I mean, an Indian hospital, sorry. And she stayed there for a long time. And it was an institution. It wasn't really a hospital. And she stayed there for six years. And then she came back to our reserve. And um, that's about it that I can speak about. Thanks, thanks, Marie, for sharing. And um, just a little bit more about um, Indian um, hospitals or native hospitals. Um, I was watching, has anybody ever watched APTN? It's Aboriginal People's Television Network. So they did a documentary on that not too long ago. And um, as she had mentioned that there was, um, there'd be some patients that would um, contract TB. Um, this is in the, I believe the 60s and 50s. And, um, our people were the, were a high percentage uh, of people that that would that would get it. So they're put in these institutions, and there's actually um, evidence now and documents that um, 
our people were basically like human guinea pigs for vaccines and, and things like that. And there was a, a pretty big percentage of, of people that were uh, of native people that died at these hospitals and they are in unmarked graves as well. So we have a lot of, again, like I had said, trauma upon trauma of people um, that have been through so much in, in our communities. And I just wanted to, so thank you for sharing that, Marie. I'm gonna ask uh, Josie to, to come up here and, and then I'm going to uh, follow and we're gonna share a little bit more about what God's response is to this, right? It's amazing to see all of you out here today. To me, having you come on a Sunday morning, you didn't have to come. You could have stayed home, you could have done something else for the day, but you came here today. And when we prepare for these sort of ministry at times, we always pray that the Lord will fill the seats with exactly the people that need to be there. And we need you to be here. We need you to be here to be able to listen, to be able to receive, because like we said, we can't have reconciliation without truth. And so when we're receiving truth, that means we're getting educated. That means we're learning some uncomfortable facts, but we're not just staying there. We're not just taking it for ourselves and taking it for ourselves and being like, that was really sad for those people. But now it takes action. When we move into reconciliation, there has to be a form of action. What does that look like? That can look like all of you today taking what you've learned and speaking to your neighbor, speaking to a family member, and educating them on the history of Canada. This is your history as well. I mean, it's our history, but let's admit, this is all of our history. It's all of our history to own. So it's all of our history to learn. So I always encourage people after we've spoken, you know, look it up for yourselves. Um, there, I know that there are a couple of sites that have survivor stories. Those are very hard to hear. They're very hard to hear. Uh, Netflix has an amazing movie. I think it's Net Netflix or Prime, When We Were Children. Again, extremely hard. You might think that's Hollywood, that's Hollywood for you just exaggerating, but that is not an exaggeration. We have community members that have lived through horrific abuse. We have community members that have lived through horrific abuse in their early ages, developmentally in our brain, because I work for a daycare, I'm a supervisor of a daycare on our First Nation, the times that your brain is growing and you're developing is between the years of zero to six. That's when the synapses in your brain, that's when all the functionings are happening, that's where you learn empathy, care, uh, you know, are you welcomed into the world? And what they were taught at the age of three and four at residential schools are, the person you were created to be was not a good person. We were assimilated, which means that we were conformed and made to look like the era of that time, the, the uh, popular Canadians of the time. It was to save the child and kill the Indian. 
that was the motto. So we've heard this over and not over. You know, they really were, you know, residential schools were made to save the child, kill the Indian, save the child, kill the Indian. Can you imagine if that sort of motto was here today? Like, that's horrific. The reason that I speak on truth and reconciliation, the reason that I speak first and foremost in churches, we, we've spoken for um, schools, for healthcare systems, for even our big power plants up on the Bruce Peninsula. I speak because I am a mother. I am a mother, and I am a mother that when the last uh, residential school closed in 1996 in Saskatchewan, I was of an age to be able to go to that school. Why did it close? Because they knew that there, there were so many horrific acts that were happening at that time? No. There just wasn't money. There just wasn't money. And so I speak because you saw I have my, I actually have my son and daughter with me. Uh, my son has very long hair and I let him grow it out because at residential school, you were not allowed to be a boy and have long hair. That was t taken from you. You were shaved. So I allow him to ha have long hair. But I, I speak because every single day, just like you, I have the honor to be able to send my children on a bus and at the end of the day, have them come home to me. I have the honor of knowing when I send my 17-year-old to high school that I don't have to think for the rest of my life, where did she go? Whatever happened to her? And the school would say, oh, you know, they just got TB. You know, it was just sickness. We just buried, you know what? Don't worry about it. We just buried them on our ground. You know, a lot of people didn't even get that. They just always wondered where their family member went. So I asked my son, Bo, and uh, Bo actually has done an interview with Hunter Huntley Street because they wanted to ask a First Nations child what they felt about truth and reconciliation. And I see other children here our children listen. Our children hear. And I love that we have children here because our children are our next generation. They are also going to be the generation that makes huge changes within Canada. Huge changes. So when asked, I asked Bo one time, I said, Bo, do you know what truth and reconciliation is? And he, you know, he gave his response as a nine-year-old at the time. And then he said to me, you know, mom, it was really sad about what happened. I said, it really was, bud. It was really sad. He goes, because lots of them were killed or they, had, they got hurt or had bad things happen to them. And then he stopped. And this always plays in my head. Do they not know? Did they not know that those people could have been the person that invented cancer, the cure for cancer? Or they could have been the next politician that makes the rights better for First Nations? Do they know that that could have been a family member that had children and created community? That's a lot for a little one to process. But I love that he processes that because he also walks through truth and reconciliation and love. And I know downstairs is probably asking the teachers, I am sorry, a hundred questions about your church and the children here. 
but that's how we build relationship. That's how we build relationship. One of the many misconceptions about residential schools is that we fully, with knowing, sent our children. I want to change that misconception today. We did not fully know that we were sending our children. We did not hand them off at the age of four. We did not hand them off at another age. Some of them were forcibly taken from their parents, forcibly taken, threatened. Some of our children were sent to the bush to go and hide until the Indian agents disappeared, and some of them didn't make it out of the bush. I was forcibly removed from my home because I am a survivor of the 60 scoop. Everything that was meant to destroy and kill me and keep me down and cause me to be all the stereotypes that unfortunately Canadians tend to have, not all, not all Canadians, but some have, that I should be, you know, broken. I should be an alcoholic, not working. I'm not that. Instead, I believe that God is restoring my story and in my children, in restoring me so I can speak and I can help educate and I can bring this message not only to this church, but to other churches in Ontario and other churches and places across Canada in the States as well. We wear the shirt that says that we, um, that every child matters. And I love sharing this. Psalm 139, verse 13. My eyes are getting bad. <laughs> For it was you who created my inward parts and knit me together. It was you, God, who created me as a First Nations person. It was you, God, who created every single person that's sitting here. And you are good. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this full well. I, Josie Dingler, know full well who I am. I am a child of God. I am a daughter of the King. I am healed. I am restored. I am a work in progress. I have many more st stages to go in my healing but I know that I'm also a hope bringer, not only to you, but I am a hope bringer to First Nations people. I know that I have been called and that God has predestined and put in place a plan for my life, for Carmen and I day's lives, Marie's life, Stan and Sally, my children's lives. Because in such a time as this, God needs to raise up those people who have received healing, know who they are, know who their identity is, so that they can go and bring the good word, bring the good news of who God is, who the real God is. I always love God. I mean, I always love that Carmen says, God is not sexual abuse. Unfortunately, a lot of our people believe that God is sexual abuse. God is not hate. God does not kill. God does not destroy. 
Why would he destroy or kill or abuse the thing that he made and what makes his heart so happy and full of joy and love? God is about this time. God is about this time. So he raised up in the middle of the pandemic. I love God's timing on these things. You know what? God was like, I'm going to bring, at the time, a team of four. Four First Nations people. And we had all just kind of started going back to God, serving God, going through healing, even being brought back to the community. And he said, you four, I need you. I'm asking, can I send you? And we said, yes, Lord, send us. So, Lord, what was, what was the purpose of God creating this team, the Nawash House of Prayer team, before the pandemic? The reason he created us before the pandemic and put this team together is that we stopped meeting in person. That sounds so backwards. But if you've been through inter intergenerational trauma, if you've been through residential school, Indian day school, sexual abuse from the Roman Catholics, 60 scoop, you're not really wanting to go into a church. You're not really wanting to go to some sort of program and listen to, you know, worship and the word and prayer because you're maybe a little nervous. Your trust has been broken. So God in his planning, and I, I don't want to say sneaky, but I want to say strategic planning brought us into their living rooms. We started going virtual with the Nawash House of Prayer. And the way we do it is, Holy Spirit, lead us. Tell us what we need to pray, what we need to sing, how we need to move in this evening, and even the timing. We want to serve you. We've had people that have been healed on our First Nation. We've had people that have come to Christ on our First Nation because they were able to respond to God in the living room. They were talking about um, living room revivals. I believe that happened through the pandemic. I really do believe that happened. So there has now, I think there's seven of us now serving in the Nawash House of Prayer. And this is the reason that God put us together. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. We already know in the word that it says that God is close to the, those that are broken in spirit. Crushed and broken in spirit. So God is close. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. To give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I like to see that also as to give them a testimony instead of what they live through. To give them a story of healing and hope than what they just came through. And I strongly believe that God's doing that. He's raising people up. And, you know, we might look at First Nations right now and be like, Josie, that is a really big task to go into all of the First Nations, even in Ontario or Canada. But you know what? Our God is a mighty God. All things are possible through God. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities and the devastations. Stan, thank you for reading that this morning. That was an amazing word because God is about taking us back down to the very foundations. God can restore us from the very, very first foundations of our DNA. I, I believe that. I know he can because God can do all things. And skipping down, in place of your shame, you will have double portions. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share, so they will possess double in their land, and eternal joy will be theirs. God had to raise up a First Nations ministry because, unfortunately, because trust has been broken, who's better to go into First Nations than First Nations people? Who's better to go into First Nations to give a, a message of hope and healing than those who have been through it themselves? Who better to go in than a survivor of residential school, a survivor of Indian Day School, a survivor of 60 Scoop? We can say, I've lived it, I've been there, I've been through the horrific abuse, and I have a testimony, you know, we won't share it today, but it really was something that should have crushed me. And because of God, I'm here this morning giving all glory and praise to him. So I know that Carmen has an amazing next part of the message, and I want him to share that. But if you guys could please, you, I know I've had people say, how can we partner with you? I need you to share the message that we're speaking today. I need us to not just on September 30th wear our orange shirts, but I need us to almost a visible orange shirt every single day. Be about healing in this land. Be about getting educated in this land. Let's be about God's business. Pray for us. Please pray for us. That's how you can partner with us. Carmen. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna kind of close things up, but share a little something because, um, as Josie had kind of said about, um, you know, I had talked about, or she said that I said that, um, you know, where's God in all of this, and that God isn't sexual abuse, is He? God isn't sexual abuse. Can we all say that? God, yeah, Amen. God isn't physical abuse, is he? And God isn't about killing children, is he? So then what happened? What happened? Why did all of these churches who are supposed to be representing who God is do all of this stuff? What's going on here? So that's what I'm going to talk about. Has anybody heard of colonization before? Yeah. Colonization. It's the act of taking control of an area or a country that is not your own, especially using force and sending people there from your own country to live there. This is what has happened in Canada, right? Does anybody know what assimilation is? Josie kind of touched on that. Assimilation is basically making the indigenous people of the population and making them like you. 
And that's done through force as well. So we have residential schools that we talked about. Uh, we have Indian day schools, which was kind of a form of residential schools, but it wasn't a boarding school. What had happened is like our people, we were able to go home every day, but it still wasn't a very healthy environment. We had the 60s scoop, as Josie had just talked about. Does anybody know what the 60s scoop was? Yeah, there was some, um, some children, native children were adopted and they were basically taken out of their households and they were displaced in all parts of Canada that were usually non-native um, families. And um, that happened all over the place. So right now we have a lot of people that are trying to make contact with our community because they were taken many years ago and they're now finding their way back to our community. So we have that, we're, we're dealing with that with our people. And so all of these things work with assimilation, with colonization. And this is really sad. This is really sad. And I have an example. I just, I want to, and I need somebody's help for this. Can somebody loan me $20 right here and right now? Does anybody have a $20 bill? Let's see who God is really, really blessing right now. <laughs> <laughs> right okay could you bring that up to me there young sir thank you so much thank you yeah you can stand right there yeah i don't want you to go too far away from this eh thank you for sowing your seeds into the naywash house of no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding so this is a 20 dollar bill correct right what is why is this why is this a 20 dollar bill it's green. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Well, how do I know it's a $20 bill? 20 on it. And then what else is on it? Is there anything else that you know that this is a $20 bill? Yeah, the queen. The queen is on here. Yep. Okay. And the camera can see that back there. Correct? Okay. So $20 bill. I'll put that right there. Okay. What is this? So this is a $100 bill. It's a $100 bill. Well, it's a $100 bill. Like it, it says Canada on it and it has the queen on there. That's who that person is with the crown. She's, it's not a very good portrait of the queen. She's a stick figure, but that's the queen. And it actually says in brackets there, I'm real, I'm sw I swear. <laughs> and this is bigger. It's physically bigger than this one. So this is better, right? This is the way that my people were introduced to Jesus. This is the way that my people were introduced to God. This is colonization. This is assimilation. This is the gospel of Jesus and how it was brought to my people. This is a counterfeit. This is fake. This is bigger, made to look like it's bigger and better, but it's not. This is the gospel of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus said that we need to bring 
Jesus to other people through the power, not through our own mind, not through our own thoughts, not through our own ideas. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit in order to do things that will impact other people's hearts. Amen? So one idea that we could have is like, okay, how about we, you know, make up this school, we teach people about who Jesus is at this school, and we, um, you know, set them up for better education and set them up for, for a better life. I just described to you what residential schools is. That's an idea that I just came up with right now. So that's why our ideas as humans are no longer any good. We really need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that some people have an idea of what the Holy Spirit is. Pray about it. I know that some denominations have an idea of what the Holy Spirit is. God doesn't say, look at this denomination so you can find something else. He says, seek my face. So I just pray that each and every one of us will begin to seek Jesus's face, begin to seek God's face, and that we will allow the Holy Spirit to impact our heart. Thank you so much for that example. Thank you. And so it is because of this, because of this example that I've just shown you with residential schools, with Indian day schools, with um, the Indian hospitals, with the 60s scoop, um, but mostly through residential schools. This is the way that my people see Jesus. So as soon as we mention Jesus, as soon as we mention God or anything like that, they automatically think he's talking about residential schools. He thinks that it's okay that people can abuse children and be okay with it and that these people who have done that, they don't get, nothing happens to them, no justice comes to them. And that's what people think that church is about. And, and I'm going to tell you that, you know, our people are not the only people in Canada um, who think this. How many people have family members who do not like God, who do not like Jesus, right? Because it has been presented to them probably in a way where the Holy Spirit was not involved. So really think about that. Because during the pandemic, God got rid of all of the churches for a while. He stopped us from congregating. He stopped us from something that we were doing ourselves. We need to be out in the communities. As each and every one of us from the members of the House of Prayer here, we, we work and we live in our communities and we're impacting people on a daily basis. And we're trying to. Not by preaching at them, but by sharing our lives with them. And sometimes there comes this opportunity where we will be able to share with them who the real Jesus is. Everybody knows who religion is. Or sorry, everybody knows what religion is. Amen? Not very many people know who the real Jesus is. And Jesus, during his time... He fought against religion, did he not? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was always having debates with them because these Pharisees, they said, we know who God is. We know who God is. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Like, how do you guys not know this? So that's what we need to be 
as the church, not a building. We need to be more than a building. When, when Jesus is talking about the church, he's talking about the people. So I just pray that over you today. And I wanted to talk about the house of prayer really quickly. So this is something that, um, that I had started uh, about maybe four years ago, before the pandemic. <clears throat> and what the house of prayer is, is that um, in contrast to church. So sometimes we come to church and we'll sing a few songs, we'll hear a message, and then we'll go home and we'll feel good about ourselves because we checked the box for the week. We went to church. What House of Prayer is, is we'll meet, we've met once a, once a week, once a month when we first started meeting in person. And what we will do is we don't sing songs. We don't sing songs. We actually don't even have any musicians at the Nawash House of Prayer. We have worshipers. Because songs and worship are two different things. We do what we can to get at the feet of Jesus, to be in his presence. And we pray about the things that are going on in our community, the things that are going on in the world today. Because God doesn't just want you to come to church and, and hear a message and to listen to some songs. He wants, to be in, he wants us to be in his presence. And he wants you to, to seek his face. And that happens when we worship and when we pray together. So that's what we're about at the house of prayer. So I just wanted to share that. And um, when we've, we started as maybe three people in the beginning. And we grew to seven people who are actually active um, team members. And um, we've been able to reach a lot of people. And I say this all over North America because my wife is Mexican and her friends are watching in, uh, our, in the Nawash House of Prayer. But this is what God has called us to. And he's also actually called us to share what we've shared today. And most importantly about reconciliation, I'm going to close with this, is that if we really want to see what reconciliation is, we have no further to look than our relationship with Jesus and how we became believers of Jesus. We don't just say our sorry to Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry, and, you know, pray the prayer. There's some things that happens afterwards for us to get closer. It says in God's word, if you become closer to me, I'll draw closer to you. Amen. So that's what we need to do in Canada today because we're in a fractured relationship right now. Canada is fractured right now and it has been for some time. And the answer is relationship. So thank you so much for inviting us here today because this is a step in relationship. And even in the Bruce Peninsula, I grew up in the Bruce Peninsula and there was lots of racism when I was younger. There still is racism there. It's getting a little better, but how we get past that is through understanding one another and by starting relationship. And that's how we get closer to Jesus too, do we not? We have to start a relationship with him, not just say, I'm sorry, I want to go to heaven, but I'm sorry, I want to get to know who you are, Jesus. I want to see your face, God. And give me, and I need to know, I need your Holy Spirit. So.